Hi, this is David. This is Josh. And you're listening to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about being unsuccessful, rethinking our paradigm of what ministry is, what following God means, and uh, we... And really just life. Yeah, yeah. We're very... uh, Good people to be doing this podcast because we're both unsuccessful pastors. Yep. My wife says I'm unsuccessful husband at times. Yeah. We're both unsuccessful husbands, unsuccessful fathers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Continue to fail. I, uh, I'm an unsuccessful runner. I just found out I've been hurting my knee because of my terrible posture when I run. Yeah. So you did just finish a half marathon though. I did. I did. I limped all the way to the end. <laughs> um. So today we want to talk about something that I know has been on your heart. Um, a story from the Bible that relates to this idea of unsuccess. And it's a story in First Kings. Yeah. So when God speaks to different people in different ways, of course. He's, he's done that throughout history. And, and as, as a pastor, one of the, man, I'd almost say one of the primary ways, but definitely one big way in which God has spoken to me is through, through preaching. Um, you know, as I, as I prepare the text, as I prepare the sermon, then as I deliver it, it's amazing how often... God just shows up in my own life and in my own heart um, as I preach. And years and years ago, um, I was preaching this sermon out of 1 Kings chapter 18, and um, I heard a sermon by Eugene Lowry, and he was actually preaching on 1 Kings 19, and that's the story of Elijah um, in the, when he's up in the mountain, God calls him into the mountain, and uh, and he hears he hears God's voice not in not in the fire or the earthquake or the wind, but it's it's in the still small voice calling from within the cave. And we've often taken that story and we say, you see, God doesn't speak in loud, obnoxious ways, but <laughs> God speaks in still quiet whispers. And the point that Lowry made was not that, but it was rather that God speaks in the way that we least expect him to speak. Um, and that, that challenged me. I, I, I think in, in ministry, in life, in our relationship with God, we try to put God into a box. We're like, God, this is how you've worked before. This is how I expect you to work um, you know, moving forward, this is how you work for David. And so now I expect you to work this way for Josh in my life. Um, and that is not the case. God is of course, always full of surprises and he speaks to us. He shows himself in ways that kind of befound us a little bit, you know, and we just, and those unexpected opportunities, those unexpected ways. And and so for me, this sermon years ago, as I was preaching it, was one of those times when God just, just made himself evident to me. Um, and it's really, I think, the foundational element for me 
when we talk about this idea of of being unsuccessful, of not kind of measuring up um, to the expectations. So how did God meet you? So I'm preaching, I'm preaching this text, and and I, and I'm preaching at actually First Kings chapter 19, and I'm I'm talking about this about how God kind of shows up in in the most unexpected ways, and immediately my mind, as I'm preaching, my mind goes back to to chapter 18, and in that is Elijah's experience um, at Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, they were up there, and it was this competition between Yahweh and Baal. Right. So, so Elijah's come up to uh, Ahab, is it or Ahaz? Ahab. Yeah. King Pretty Ahab. sure. Yeah. And and he and he says, "Bring me all of your prophets. Yep. I'm I'm gonna take them on. Yep. Yeah. And you've got this big, magnificent moment. You know, just imagine the. The crowds of people, it's, you know, a nice, probably a Saturday morning. Um, everybody's gathering together. Um, for, it's been a drought, so there's no rain. Everything's dry. Um, and the sun is, of course, out. And, and everybody gathers at the, you know, at Mount Carmel. Yeah, this this would be like if Michael Phelps came up and said, bring me every strong swimmer in the world we're going to do this big televised event. Yeah. It's going to be huge. Um, and the whole nation of Israel, like this is on the spotlight. And so Elijah comes, he, he says, it's on, let's do this. Let's settle this once and for all, you know, is Baal the real God or is Yahweh the real God? Um, and so what happens then on this day, you know, they, the prophets of Baal, what they do is they, I, they build two altars, um, you know, one to Baal and one to Yahweh. And then the prophets of Baal just go at it, praying and crying out for fire from heaven um, to consume the sacrifice that they put on the altar. And Elijah, he was egging them on. He's like, come on, pray harder. Yeah, yeah. Maybe your God's asleep, you know, shout a little bit louder. My favorite, if you if you look in the Hebrew, it, it basically says, maybe your God's in the bathroom. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Like, may, come on, guys, what's going on? Yeah. It's, it's not happening. And they just, <laughs> they are on there, you know, hundreds of them, and just crying out with all that they've got and probably making fools of themselves. They're probably bumbling idiots up there and just like, come on, come on, come on, make this. Make this happen, make this happen. And Elijah, of course, knowing the one true God, um, I think he's just kind of sitting back at a few times, just just in anticipation. He's like, yeah, guys, just just wait. Yeah. And he gets his time, what is it, kind of midday or later afternoon, finally after the prophets of Baal were tired and exhausted out. And... Just to kind of add insult to injury, he soaks the entire altar with water. Of course, mind you, this there's a drought. Yeah. And, and so he's just kind of like in your face, you know, this water that is um, is scarce already. And, and then he digs a trench around the altar and just douses everything. Have you ever tried to light a fire with wet wood or <laughs> damp wood? Yeah, the, the actually the... The first time 
I took my wife camping. Uh, we, it had kind of rained the night before, and it was drizzly the rest of the day. And she said, should we get wood? And I'm like, there'll be wood there. And she said, yeah, it'll be wet. And I'm like, the fire will dry it <laughs> because I'm stupid. <laughs> and so I think, well, this will be fine. Yeah, it didn't work. It, it, yeah, it doesn't. It wouldn't light. A wet wood doesn't <laughs> light. Even if you've got a hot fire to, to dry it, it doesn't work. Right. And so Elijah does this, and then he prays, and God shows up. And at this moment in Elijah's prophetic career, like this is what he was living for. Yep. People turning their hearts to God. Yeah. Yahweh. And in that moment, I don't think there was a doubt in anybody's mind. Like the entire nation of Israel, like again, this is a big spectacle. People have come out to this. And in that moment, everybody goes, Yahweh is the true God. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm preaching, going back to this experience, I'm preaching on this chapter 19 when Elijah is up in the mountains. I'm thinking, how did he get here or why did he get here? And so I go back and I tell that story of the Mount Carmel experience. And you would have thought, you would have expected Elijah's life to be fulfilled. His entire prophetic career culminated in this Mount Carmel experience. The entire nation repents and turns back to Yahweh. But that's not what happens. We have a blurb in there. Um, What happens after God shows up? Elijah then commands the prophets of Baal to be killed. um, 400 of them in total. And then the next day, and this is when we see we get into chapter 19, it says Jezebel went after Elijah. And then Elijah is going into the wilderness, into the desert. He tells his servant, I'm going there to die. And it just struck me in that moment that everything Elijah lived for, everything that he had expected, it was all for naught. It, it left him wanting more. Yeah. And in ministry, in church, like I, I, I'm pressing towards this idea that has been given to me. And it's never, it's never going to be enough. It's always going to make me want more um, if that's what I am if that's what I'm pushing for. And so God God challenged me kind of in in that moment, saying, Are you living to please others as your ministry, as your career to to prove to others um, you know, how great of a prophet or how great of a pastor you are? Um or are you willing to be faithful and to be obedient to the call that I have placed on your life? 
right? Yeah, so faithfulness is what God's been calling you to, not not success. Yeah. As not only the world would see it, but most Christian leaders would see it. Yeah, it, it's that faithfulness and obedience. That's that paradigm shift. Rather than using language like success, it's been... A, a shift of being faithful and being obedient to what God has called me to. Yeah. God basically at the kind of the end of chapter 19, God calls Elijah out. Um, and Elijah is kind of complaining and saying, you know, like, nobody, there's nobody that believes in you. And God basically says, what's it to you? Um, all that you need to worry about is whether you're obedient, being obedient to me and being faithful to me. Hmm. One thing I think is interesting in the story and... You and I actually just talked about this before we hit record, but Elijah kills all the prophets yeah. of Baal. <laughs> he kills them. And uh, with the other gods that people believed in at the time, they saw these gods as like these warrior gods, these fighting gods. God was a warrior. God was a fighter. And so, if, if you are following God, you might think, hey, these ones who are uh, worshiping other gods or pulling people toward other gods may need to be snuffed out, may need to be killed. And when we get to chapter 19, and there's this earthquake, and God's not in the earthquake... And there's this fire, and God's not in the fire. This is how you would expect a great warrior God to speak. Yeah. And he doesn't show up there. And then there's this quiet, some translations of the Bible say a whisper or a, or a still small voice. God speaks to Elijah. God gives direction to Elijah only in the silence. After what would be expected. And so you can make the case that Elijah's missing the point. Elijah sees God as this uh, warrior, as this winner, as this champion. Yep. He, uh, he made this big show this like Michael Phelps type. I don't know why I keep mentioning Michael Phelps. He hasn't swam in a long time. Uh, but this this big show of defeating 450 prophets, and then he kills them. But then God shows up in a, in a different way, not as this great conqueror, not as this great defeater, but in the quiet. And he, he guides Elijah in the silence. And I feel like with you and your story, he, 
he guided you not in the way you expected, not in the way that we normally expect. He uh, he led you to this understanding of faithfulness and obedience. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that Elijah misunderstood God. Yeah. And it, when God showed up, it wasn't God who killed all those people. Like, when God showed up, there was no harm caused to anybody. Right. In, that, in, in, in this experience. But Elijah just assumed, because of who he thought to be God, of what God kind of, what it represented, I guess, in that culture, he just assumed that the natural... Uh, the the natural progression of things is that everybody who worship Baal needs to be put to death. Yeah. Yep. And and I I wonder. You so know, so so when uh, when people got in fights with you at at your church, were you putting them to death? Is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I mean that it, you heard it here. <laughs> the unsuccess podcast endorses. Oh, murder. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so it, it's not explicit in the text, but I wonder if Elijah was like convicted or if he felt like in, in, as he's doing this, as he's making this command, as this is being carried out, he's like, wait, what, what am I doing? And maybe there's some a bit of revenge there. Like we, we always think that, oh, that any wrong caused to us that we would feel better if we caused wrong to the person, you know that, that has wronged us. Right, eye for an eye. Yeah, and and that's not, I don't think that's in characteristic with, at least what I know to be God's heart, um, and His desire for for all humanity. And so Elijah misunderstood God, and I think he began to realize that kind of in that deed of, of putting to death all, the, all those prophets. Um, and I think that left him incredibly empty, incredibly desolate. And all that he knew God to be up to that point had just gotten wrecked. Yeah. And he's then left in the ashes. And he's now being chased by Jezebel. Yeah. He, he's got a price on his head. And and he is he's ready to to die. Yeah, he's, Maybe he's going out to the wilderness to just to kill himself or starve himself and just say, like, I messed up hmm. and I'm I'm done. And what's interesting is it's in that moment that God meets with him. It's even though God showed up in a big way uh, on, on the mountain. For Elijah, it was in the ashes. It was in the, the, 
that moment of complete and utter failure and unsuccess, that that's where Elijah met God personally and really encountered him. Yeah. 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 And, uh, I mean, that had to be kind of a shock because Moses got met in this enormous way on the mountain, and he's he's probably expecting something like that. Yeah, he had to be at the end of his rope, depression or something like that, because he twice, I think twice, says, I'm ready to die. He says, ain't no one good here but me. Like, no one's, no one's following you. I'm the only one left. Um, yeah. Which uh, is also not true. God's like, well, there's 7,000 that are uh, still following me. And we see earlier in the book that there's 150 prophets still out there. So Elijah's wrong, but he, that's, that's part of the point. He feels alone. He's broken. He's, he's done. He's ready to be done. And I think that resonates for so many of us. Mm -hmm. We've had those moments. We've had those times where we're like, God, where are you? You're not showing up. Yep. I, I've not, I, I don't see you. I don't experience you. I'm faithful, and all I'm getting is garbage from life. Yep. Where, aren't, aren't you supposed to be a loving God? Where are you at? And so this story, I think, resonates. It does with me. Um, there was a time... I don't know, a year, year and a half ago, where um, something pretty big happened, uh, kind of a shake-up with our church and some... There was some anger, some fighting, and I can't really talk too much in detail about it, but I I felt like the the thing to do is just continue to power through it was one of those situations where you you just need to force your way through it and keep going or you feel like you do and I talked with my spiritual director about it and she said um you need to leave town for a day Hmm. (laughs) and I was like what no there's there's too much to do to clean up this mess and she said leave town for a day and I did and I um uh, I I took some paper and a pen with me, and uh, I was just I went to the beach. I sat there and I was jotting a bunch of notes, and it was it was just sort of some free form writing and some staring at the ocean. And for hours, I was like, "What what the heck am I doing here?" <laughs> You know, nothing's, nothing's happening. And I didn't hear from God. I didn't get a sense of any point to any of this. And late in the day, 
I had this this very strong understanding that God was telling me about my belovedness, about how I'm a beloved child of God, and that no matter how any of this stuff shakes out with the church, with Mm. Um, with this situation with people here, that nothing's going to change that. That I'm beloved by God, that um, the other people in the middle of the situation are also beloved children of God, and that no amount of uh, infighting, no amount of um, devastation in my life, in our ministry, is going to change that fact. And had I just stayed and powered through, I wouldn't have got that. God spoke to me... Um, differently and I kind of had to leave the things of life to hear it in a similar way that Elijah did. Yeah, we we base our worth and our value as individuals mm-hmm. for us as pastors, as husbands, as fathers, we base our worth and value by how well we are able to perform in each one of those areas of life. Um, and so as a pastor, if, if the, the, the church I'm shepherding, if that is not growing, if there's not new life happening, if people aren't being saved, if lives aren't being transformed, then... I began to, or it's easy for me to then begin to take that personally. Yeah, you're a failure. Yeah. And, or as a husband, if I'm failing, if I'm not giving my wife all that she needs, or as a father, if I get angry with my kids, or if I'm not giving them kind of all the time that they need, then I become a failure at that and and it just leads to this dark place and and God is like oh, God is calling us he he wants us to experience a, a worth and a value that is not dependent on our performance it's not dependent on how well we we do um, and with with Elijah, Elijah's worth and value as a person, as a child of God, was not at all dependent on how well he could do. It wasn't even dependent on the fact that he messed up by taking things into his own hands and killing 400 prophets of Baal. Right. Like his worth and value didn't change even through that. Um, and there's so many people that I see both in the church and outside the church I encounter 
who struggle with identity and we we compensate by trying to be successful at whatever we are good at or whatever kind of our calling or vocation or our job or kind of wherever we find ourselves, we try to succeed because we have convinced ourselves that if we can be successful, then that means we matter. Yeah. My family's falling apart, so I'm going to throw myself more into my work so I can get a better promotion so that um, my life is... Yeah. uh, I'm, I'm still in control of my life. Yeah, and so we we strive to hit these marks of success that we're conditioned to think are indicators of, you know, I don't know, of arriving or having kind of figured things out. And right. And I, I think what God is calling us to is something completely completely backwards from that and and I look at the Elijah story and what God called to Elijah I there I mean there's countless others where I think of like Gideon where God like man you know like Gideon you've got too many people you got to get rid of them right <laughs> Gideon's like no I, I don't um and go to war with other countries. No, not with that many people. <laughs> yeah. No, not with those weapons. Just yeah. <laughs> um, and and I I like God is like from the beginning. I think from the beginning of creation, God is God has created us in such in in such a way. Um, but we're this temptation of success, this temptation of figuring something out, or having kind of bigger, better things. Um, kind of looms oh, looms out there and, and and draws us to that but but God has reminded us over and over again that there's something bigger kind of at at play and I think through Christ then when he when he comes and he's bringing the kingdom of God and and in his conversations about that he's saying that like the kingdom there's this kingdom that, that exists that is not it's not about being successful it's not about arriving it's not about figuring it out it's not about um you know being good at at whatever it is that we are doing but it's this humility it's this putting others above ourselves And and it is in that that, and I've seen people that there is this complete satisfaction, this complete contentment, um, this this depth of I don't know this purpose and peace. There's a peace that people have had that I I can see where they get to this point in life where they are not they're not battling the temptation to try to be somebody um but they've learned uh, they, they they've learned they've figured out 
who they are kind of in in Christ and, and as God's children, um, as people whom God loves regardless of what they do. Right. And there's this all oh, this this piece that that I've I've gotten a glimpse of and I continue to strive towards and I I want to oh, I just want to bathe in that and just just live in that that place of not having to claw myself to the top or not having to perform um but really just be yeah yeah it's a good word obedience and faithfulness and being at peace in ourselves as children of God I think that's a good place to end our time here I think for the for the thumbnail for this episode we should have a picture of one of us bathing in God's uh, <laughs> bathing in God's peace God's peace <laughs> let that image just kind of loom out there and yeah what does that even look like yeah see I don't know when you said it I was I was trying to imagine <laughs> what bathing in God's peace would look like uh, so I I don't know man if if you're listening to this and you're good with Photoshop please um uh, use the hashtag unsuccess or hashtag peace bath. Peace bath. <laughs> and, and tweet that to one of us. Uh, well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. For now, I'm David. I'm Josh. And this has been the Unsuccess Podcast. Until next time. Yeah. <laughs>